Hello, my name is Miguel Almario, and welcome to Speak. This is a show about empowering people on their mental health journey. And if you want to support us, please consider following our club's social media at the I Am Collective. This episode is about learning where we stand to help one another, and I hope you enjoy the show today. So, we have yet another brilliant man on the show. Happy April, by the way. We're approaching the end of the semester, so... I think a lot of us are feeling that burnout and of course, you know, being that we're we're seeing the light of the end of the tunnel with this whole COVID pandemic thing. Uh, we're feeling the weight of exams more and more. So uh, this club is primarily about mental health. So please take care of yourselves. Uh, but like I said, we do have yet another brilliant man on the show. He is incredibly passionate and thoughtful person and he's someone that I'm very glad to have met and had in my life for quite a bit of time now so I'm pleased to present you guys with your Joe today and without further ado I'll let him introduce himself take it away man thank you man uh so my name is Gurjo Danda uh I, I had the very fortunate opportunity to meet Miguel through our time at JDC West together he was uh, part of the first place winning social team uh, from the University of Calgary in 2020. So that was uh, very, very cool to see. And, and over that period of time, we, we kind of got to know each other and we had a, a lot of good times outside of uh, JDC West. So it's always fond memories. Hopefully we can make some more once, uh, uh, once we're past this COVID situation. But basically, uh, basically background of mine is that um, I'm from Calgary, born and raised. I uh, graduated my high school in 2017, came into the University of Calgary as a finance student, um, kind of bounced around the faculty. And now I am a general business major with like a kind of a concentration of classes in business analytics and finance. I'm currently in my fourth year and, and kind of working to wrap stuff up, doing some co-op jobs and uh, kind of going through the home stretch of my university career. Then the, then that's uh, that's about it from my end. Beautiful, and you know, good Joe. I'm I'm happy to to again to have met you and bring up JDC. So uh, it's nice because I have had the chance like talk to a couple of people on this show from there. So it is beautiful to create so many connections from it, and you know, it's also greater still to know how many people in business that. I've had the opportunity to have conversations like this with, you know, one, it speaks very highly of our, our class of people, but also highly of every individual that comes through and spends their time on the show. So again, thank you so much, Kajil, for being here and, you know, particularly discussing what we plan on talking about today. Uh, and we've talked about this in the show in the past, but we are living in a time of, a, of significant political turmoil and, you know, as the months go on, there's more and more that we are kind of exposed to as a society of, you know, racial violence and just overall people being bad people. And it's really difficult as observers to rationalize your place within uh, all this grief and turmoil. So this episode hopes to provide some insight into the situation in India and also you know, through the lens of Gurjo and um, what we can observe together as people living apart from something so traumatic that hopefully we can rationalize what to best do with our individual voices and also sort of unpack how powerful that can be 
And uh, at this point, I've I've done enough talking. So Gurjo and I are going to explore this situation further. But to introduce everything, I'm going to let him take the reins here. Yeah. So and feel free to please stop me anytime if you have questions, because I'm sure like if you have a question, the, the viewer might have that similar question. So we want to make sure that the information comes across. So to talk about kind of the the, the beginnings and origins of this protest, um, I, I think one good place to start is with the ruling political party and and Prime Minister Modi himself, who is currently in power in India. And they belong to a party called the BJP, which is pronounced the Bharatiya Janta Party. They're often called Bajpa as a short term, but BJP. Um, their ideology is again it is a populist ideology it comes from the right wing of politics of the spectrum and although they won't oftentimes explicitly admit it on an official platform they are aligned with various people and various organizations such as the rss or uh, other smaller organizations in india who have often said the explicit purpose is to maintain the hindu sanctity of india and and uh, th this isn't what india was about india is a secular nation secular in constitution um it, it acknowledges the fact that there's multiple faiths living in the country and the government cannot be solely motivated nor can it be governed on the ideologies of one single religion and uh, they a lot of people explicitly disagree with that from the current ruling party. So that's the people, you know, that's that's who these people are. And they got into power kind of by taking advantage of a crumbling political dynasty that existed with the original um, power holders. And like the person who was running for prime minister, Rahul Gandhi, was the great grandson of the original prime minister of India. And they had, they had held power for about 60 years. And once it came to Rahul Gandhi, it's like, it's very apparent that if you uh, kind of, you know, not, not to hate on the dude, but like, it's a very good guy. I would love to just hang out with him. Definitely not political uh, leader material. Like, like I would love to hang out with this dude. And he seems like a fun dude, but definitely not political leader material. They were able to take advantage of that, put up some very, you know, strong men, um, on the opposing side, create a call to personality for them and gain that power. So, so th those are kind of the origins of this. And to put it out there, um, from I can't remember exactly what year, but last elections, which happened in 2019, I believe, um, the BJP received about 95% of all corporate available donations in India. So their interests are clearly towards the economic policy preferred by major corporations, which is to the right, you know, to lower taxes. And that's where they come from. And how this happened, the, this farmers protest, when it comes to it, there were, there was this longstanding system in the farmers protest, uh, sorry, in the four farmers in India, it, it's called the APMC system, uh, otherwise known as Mondays in India, where it's basically government buying places. This is where um, the government has set up a market, farmers come to sell, their, uh, to sell their crop, and buyers come to buy and they auction it off. 
that is the basic gist of it. And there's a person um, which they call a middleman, but is actually a service provider. It's a person who usually helps the farmer sell their grain, make sure that they get the full price for it because they receive a commission of that price. And they make sure that, you know, the grain is stored or whatever produce they're happening is stored appropriately, is shipped off appropriately. They kind of manage the fundamental working places of that Mondays. And those are, uh, that's basically the gist of how it happens. Now, there's a lot of cons to this. There's a lot of problems to that system, um, specifically when it comes to corruption uh, within that system. And specifically it comes to when you have parties uh, that get into a position of power in that system and are trying to take advantage and trying to exploit people. Those are definite problems. They are very severe. Uh, there, there's rampant bad financing uh, going on throughout India. It's, and bad financing has probably led to um, a lot of farmer suicides. And, and if people don't know what I'm talking about, like the farmer suicide issues has been a chronic one in India where a farmer will take on debt. And um, that debt, because farmers there, like most of them are not very educated people. They, they've been generational farmers for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So they will take on debt um, without really realizing the consequences of the interest rates that they're perhaps taking on or perhaps the financing terms. That will prove to be too much for them or they'll run into an issue where they aren't protected if their crops failed or something adverse will happen. But that, that's only on their name. It's not really always transferable to their kids or their wife very sad reality is that for a lot of these people um the only way to kind of escape that death and, and the prospect of endemic poverty for the family is that they willingly commit suicide in order to like die and take that debt with them and and that's a very big problem that's existed and and nobody here is denying that agricultural reform was necessary but what the BJP government decided to do in September, in sorry, in 2020, early years, they introduced three bills without any consultation with the stakeholders of um, that legislation or anybody who would, inter- or opposing parties, uh, opposing party MLAs. And they kind of rushed it through parliament, uh, through ordinances, without a debate, without any legislative scrutiny. And it was rushed in a, rushed due to excuses of COVID. But like, if you ask me, I call that opportunism, um, taking advantage of the pandemic and rushing a bill through parliament without any stakeholder recognition or without any legislative scrutiny. Those bills came into uh, effect in um, September, 2020. Since August, in my province in particular, people have been protesting this. And it's happened kind of very, very, very much on the grassroots level. And that protest started to gain some steam. And that part, protest started to gain some steam in our adjacent, sto- uh, adjacent state of Haryana, uh, uh, which is right by my people's state of Punjab. And uh, those two states had decided that, you know what we're going to do? We are going to set up a protest in front in Delhi, in the nation's capital, against these laws, because we don't, one, we don't feel they represent our interests. And uh, two, they don't, they feel that they were passed unconstitutionally. So on November 26th, they 
started a movement towards the capital. And basically they had uh, taken their tractors, attached trolleys to them, modified them so that they could keep rations and sleeping supplies there because they understood that this was going to be a protest where they were going to have to occupy space constantly, uh, make themselves visible constantly. So they were prepared for that. On the way there, this is about tens of thousands of farmers who are heading on their way to uh, Delhi. They get through the state of Punjab fine. When they when they meet the state of Haryana, which is ruled by again a BJP leader, he puts the police action into force. They use water cannons. Um, they use tear gas shells. They use riot control uh, operations. They, in some instances, dig up the national highway in order to create trenches so the tractors can't move through them. Or in other cases, they put on piles of dirt through the national highway. So same situation. Uh, what they didn't realize was that <laughs> they were dealing with a population that was simply fed up. So they had put up barricades. They broke through the barricades. They, they had water cannons. They broke the water cannons. You know, people were, uh, the police was launching tear gas shells. They decided to throw them back. The trenches were failed and the hills were dug. And so they made their way right up to the border of Delhi. And uh, right up to the border of Delhi, these people had been met by four major barricades of police that they had to break through. People were tired and they had kind of a very good idea of, you know what, if they're not going to let us go through our highways that we pay tax money for, uh, you know, and we're doing nothing wrong. We are traveling to protest and uh, they are using COVID, but almost every Commonwealth country's nation has said that the pandemic is not enough excuse for you to disperse a protest or for you to ban the right for people to peaceful protest. Um, they had decided that this is just fundamentally against what they said, uh, what they thought uh, they should be treated as citizens of that nation. So they decided to sit down and, and they're like, you know what, we're going to establish camp here. We're going to jam up one of the major highways in two of the major highways initially in um, that, that go into the nation's capital. And we're going to stay here until these laws are repealed. That was kind of the basic gist of the beginning. <laughs> and uh Sorry, any questions so far? Because I don't want to keep on rambling on. No, I think um, first I want to say like thank you for providing so much context. I think that yeah. the way that you've introduced it by first explaining the BJP, I think that does provide a lot of insight into how this sort of amounted. Like how, you know, um, I'm pretty again, unfamiliar with the current state, which I know we're going to be going into. So I don't want to like jump ahead, jump ahead. But um, I was only slightly aware of how deep rooted this kind of conflict was. And I know in a separate conversation, we talked about how uh, multi-ethnic that uh, India ends up being. And so to have a government in power that's still favoring one religion very heavily is incredibly incredibly difficult for a lot a lot of people and i think that um even discussing you know the farming situation prior to this uh you know event where you do have the middleman who i think i've kind of saw this in my own research basically 
uh, acted in the best interest of the government and tried to give them the best deal, essentially ripping off a lot of a lot of these these farmers that, mm-hmm. of course, are relying on, you know, you're essentially relying on the middleman for protection, even though they're not giving you the protection that you need. Mm-hmm. And what I wasn't aware of is the farmer suicides. And I think that that is horrible. Like, like excuse my yeah. language, fucking horrible that that sort of thing is just being allowed to happen. And like, it's unfortunate how, you know, this had to be like the, the climax at least, or the inciting incident, if we even like take it a step further, like, because there's, there's more to this. And I, I know I'm not familiar with it yet, but it, it kind of makes me upset that the, the first action towards justice had to come from people who have already, you know, been through so much. So, um, Again, providing all the context was very, very beneficial. I think, um, yeah, I'm following along. Okay, I mean, uh, you, everything you've described has just been, I think, very straightforward. So, mm-hmm. um, please continue. I just wanted to, you know, highlight a yeah. couple that caught my eye. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, I, I don't want this to be a situation where I drone on for an hour, you know. So, but uh, speaking um, of, of like the next steps, one thing that I should highlight is why these bills are being criticized. It's not simply because they're un- unconstitutional, but what these bills essentially do is they enable. There's a lot that's in these bills, and, and I've kind of read some of them on my own time. But they they do the the APMC market structure, although it has its flaws, and there are middlemen there that one are supposed to be there to serve, uh, you know, the farmers' interests, and and a lot of them do. I, I don't want to take away from the fact that a lot of them are generally there. They provide farmers with good financing. They make sure that you know their crop and grain is attained for because a lot of these middlemen they're farmers themselves. But then you have people in a position of power, and we know that you know anybody who gets in a position of power some percentage of them is is bound to be exploit that even at you know the worst type of consequences that could result from it so i don't want to slam on the middleman what they wanted was they wanted reform to again reform credit financing uh, enable divert like incentivize diversification of crops um change up like th- there's a bunch of stuff that they wanted to do what these laws do they just create parallel markets to the apmc they allow, uh, and those markets are tax-free. So you have the APMC market, which is government-sponsored, and that has taxes in it. But it is pretty much the only avenue for a farmer to get any sort of protection against, you know, being exploited by a buyer. Uh, and then you have these private markets, which don't have any taxes, so no market friction. And they have, it's a, it's a buyer to farmer directly. But the big thing about India is that they um, they are very consolidated corp- uh, corporately. They have large corporations um, that are just mammoths in, in what they have their industry hands in. And, and these people, they have lawyers, they have money, more smart, sophisticated people, and they have the capital and cash to often wait out a farmer. Because the thing is, oftentimes when you're producing crop, it is very likely that that crop is perishable. If the market can wait out your desire to hold on to your product, the buyer can buy it for whatever whatever fucking price he wants. Now, it is that sort of exploitation that um, that they were that they recognize will come as a result, result from these bills. And and what I'm describing to you is not direct written in these bills. You have to 
the reason why it's kind of difficult for people to understand is like I've I've spent two years of, of my life there from when I was eight to about 11, two and a half years. Um, I understand the way of living. I understand the process. And when you apply those laws in legislation to the process that you currently have, you realize that these laws are avenues for corporations to basically make small scale farming so unsustainable that the eventual you know goal is to make that land so goddamn cheap that they can buy it up and conduct farming at a mass scale you know Mm -hmm. they can conduct factory farms which will undoubtedly again i I 100 agree that they will lead to an increased gdp increased gdp per capita but i 100 guarantee you it will lead to a lower quality of life for everybody living in that region um our culture many people's culture is foundational on farming, on agriculture. This is um, our very religion, like Sikh religion, which was founded, you know, some 500 years ago. It's, its basis was from agriculture. It's, it's one of its core tenets is that if, um, if some of the core tenets are surrounded around, how you, around agriculture, this is a very, very deep part of our religion and, and and culture in general. So mm-hmm. an attack on that in any form, uh, even if it is to increase, you know, the economy of a nation is, is still for us. It's too much. It's, 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 um, it's unacceptable. And, and that's why these people are, are fighting for it. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's, um, it, it's quite, it's, it's quite depressing that it comes down to it, but I think the next part of our conversation is going to be a bit more Hopeful, uh, if, if, if like I, I can hundred percent understand. You know, if you're just freaking slamming the head, you're slamming your head around your head, you're thinking, you know, fuck, man, like this, this is just hopeless situation everywhere around the world. People are just getting dicked. But no, this is actually uh, I, I find that this is actually a story of resolve and human resilience because um, I'm sure you might have seen these, but afterwards they they decided to set up camp, and and that camp has been going on for about 120 days now. Um, it wow. started November 26th and uh, March 26th just passed. So completed how many ever months that was, but a hundred at least. And, uh, you know, th- there are issues in those camps. People have suffered a brutal, brutal cold. This is one of the coldest winters Delhi had ever seen. Um, there's not, you know, the comfort of home. You are living out of a trolley <laughs> on the middle of a national highway. Uh, but there's not a lot of creature conference there to sustain you. And just there's a pandemic and, and they're forced to stay crowded because if they disperse or if they do social distancing, they're spread out too thin, they're at risk for being dispersed by the police. So they have to stay crowded. They have to stay together and they have to stay strong. Um, and just the general conditions of that place, it's, it's led to close to 300 deaths um in one way or another uh through cold through you know one of them one farmer was shot another farmer was found murdered the other day and it's fucked up like a lot of them were purpose killings like the other day um reading about it just made me fucking sad but there was a smaller protest site so so there are three major protest sites surrounding the delhi border but there's smaller ones happening in Punjab and Haryana that that have has, that have continued since September, since September. At one of those protests, somebody ran their car 
through the protests and like it, it killed um three people that i know of, that i've heard of so far you know one being a two-year-old child second being a 16 year old child and, and the third person being an elderly elderly man um also f- very very severely has injured um another person and a pregnant lady so so like when there's news coming out like that every day it's it's it kind of makes you fucked up but um i think it does strengthen the resolve of of everybody uh either there or, or, or for people like us here to, to keep on continuing with it because like that that blood paid is is like a debt Right, because these per- uh, they, they they died for us. At least they died fighting. They they died. They paid the ultimate sacrifice for a cause that they believed in. And um, the onus is like on us who remain to make sure that we drive home that point and we drive home their uh, their wishes and 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 what they truly died for. It's nothing less. Mm-hmm. I think um, one thing I wanted. Sorry, to- I'm getting a. Yeah, no, this is, again, thank you for taking the opportunity. I mean, like, um, this directly affects you, affects your people and, you know, your family Mm -hmm. as well. So um, thank you for the bravery of coming on and being able to share this um, with people. And one thing, you know, it's, it's truly awful because when I think about, you know, the need for agricultural reform and thinking about, these farmers and these people at the end of the day they just want someone to look out for their best interest and what the government tried to do was at least from you know this conversation that we've been having is create a separate outlet so that that could happen but it's exactly to your point and how if you just look at the legislation it won't paint a bad picture but if you think about the implications of that legislation and you know just the nature of businesses and how you're you're looking for cost cutting somewhere and you know we learned this in in school we learn about how you know at the end of the day sometimes people are just exploitative that's just the dark side of things and if you leave it up to like regulatory bodies like the government that aren't exactly looking for your best interests then you do have violence and that's exactly i think why there's so much push back against it and why you've built like this amount of resilience and again credit to everyone with the capacity to continue that sort of movement like again you know as someone who's also a person of color from a developing country like i feel mm-hmm. that i feel it quite intensely and i i can't help but give as much empathy as i can as much sympathy as i can and i think that's what ultimately leaves a lot of people uh feeling a bit disheartened like to your point your joe a lot of people can hear this and then be exposed to this motion news and you know quite frankly i didn't know that this we were we continue to be at a stalemate even 120 mm-hmm. days later there's still people um actively taking up their space trying to to get reform to some degree i had no idea it was um even you know, to this capacity. And it makes it so difficult because this kind of information isn't readily available to us either. Like we're not yeah. exactly, you know, um, in a position where 
it's in our news outlet's best interest to just continuously report on these atrocities. And it's it's heartbreaking. It's supremely heartbreaking. Um, but, you know, I do think that, to your point, it does indicate a resilience in your people. It indicates that, you know, there's there's a lot of heart behind this, behind this movement. And to your point, like, like I know that the Sikh, Sikh religion and the Sikh people are very peaceful people. So it's horrible that they're being taken advantage of like this and they're forced to be in situations where, unfortunately, people are being violent against them. So, but to despite the amount of difficulty there is, you know, it doesn't take off that the weight of ownership that we can all take on to help people through difficult times. And um, it's unfortunate that for developing countries that you, you kind of have to deal with the demand of the rest of the world. And it's just something that it's very colonial. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of theory about mm-hmm. how like these countries have just, you know, they're anchored to the demands of, you know, we're, we're in Canada, we have privilege, there's the U S Europe, you know, and on that note too, because we have so much privilege, we are in a good position to help out and to give back. So the next part of this conversation is as observers in Canada, what can we do to play a part in making the situation better? Uh, One thing that I do want to talk about before specific action is, is um, I, I know, I know a lot of listeners who might be interested in this might want to look up, you know, more information regarding these protests and you should, you, that's definitely of a part of being a responsible um, person who, who wants to garner an opinion on an issue and, and who wants to learn about an issue. And that's, uh, I applaud you for that. Before you do that, though, I, I feel like you should know some things about um, what the Indian media is turned into. And, and this is something that you can confirm from a lot of Indians themselves, or a lot of people who have parents or something from that subcontinent. Um, I wasn't aware of this until you know I got involved with the, the affairs of, of my family and my people through the farmers' protest. But the Indian media there has, in my point opinion, lost its most, at least most major news channels have lost their journalistic integrity. Um, and, and like an analogy that I can come up with is, I don't know if you were familiar with Fox News during the time of President Trump, right? But it, it was very much not, or, or even Breitbart, right? Like these were not news channels that were, these news channels were, you could clearly see it working very hard to, put out a favorable, you know, um, favorable viewpoint on Trump and favorable viewpoint on the establishment. That is similarly what's happening now, but in India, that's uh, those media networks that are trying to, you know, put the BJP government and the Modi administration in a fair light are probably outnumbering the ones that are trying to actually do some journalism probably by like 10 to one. Um, and if you look at the interviews, they're actually quite hilarious. If you, if you, um, Modi's never done a press conference. Um, so he's never been directly answerable to journalists. The interviews he does give are only two journalists uh, that are sympathetic and, and that are supporters of him. And the questions that he gets asked by these journalists are, you know, how do you work so hard? How are you such a good prime minister? How are you able to bring so much economic development to the nation? 
you, I, I don't know if there's any more indicators of, of a sold out press. Like it's, it's, it's the, the press and the government should never be um, like in, in an ideal system, they should always be at odds uh, and politicians and, and media people should not be friends and this cozy with one another. So if, you know, anybody in from this show wishes to look that stuff up, there's a lot of Indian news channels. And to save you the trouble, I would say avoid all of them. You know, there, there's a lot of other networks that I feel have done a fair piece on this. You know, BBC, the CBC uh, have looked at this in a fair point of view. Um, one, one news channel that's actually internationally been covering it quite well, and, and that's brought on a lot of policy experts to discuss this in, at length is Al Jazeera. Uh, whatever viewpoints you may have of Al Jazeera separately, you can get kind of both sides of the issues in Al Jazeera and, and make sure that you are getting a another focus on you know the marginalized people because you will see from protests, and we saw this in the Black Lives Matter movement too, in the summer where there was a lot of attention being placed on the violence, you know, the, a lot of attention being placed on the looting, a lot of attention being placed on the bad things coming out of this horrible, horrible incident of, of George Floyd being murdered. But that wasn't the majority of the thing, right? And, and um, th- that leads to disp- disproportionate view in people's minds of, of what these protests represent. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, there's it's been the case where they you recall those protests and uh, to them, they'll remember the looting and the violence, but they won't remember, you know, cops in certain areas being fucking disgusted by, by what that dude did and marching with the people. You know, they won't, they won't remember the fact that um, there was a lot of incidents of, of police brutality exposed throughout those protests. Um, there, there was a lot of structural, if I was looking at those protests holistically, the looting and the violence would not be my main concern. The, the response of the police to many of the protesters would be my main concern, but that's we, we never really got into that because of the disproportionate view that the media decided to take on these protests. Similarly here, um, the media is taking a disproportionately viewed, well, one, the, disproportionately viewed, like, you know, there was one violent incident on the 26th where the police and uh, the protesters got into a clash. That's been hiked up. Um, the violent incidents of, a, not violent incidents, but, you know, farmers breaking barricades and, and making sure, like, they, they were doing it very upbeat in an aggressive manner, but they never really went and fought with the cops until then, uh, until the 26, 26 stuff came head over boil. Uh, and, um, there was a battalion of the Delhi police who, who was outnumbered. They decided to, you know, fire upon protesters. And that led to a clash. One, one, um, if you, if you've ever seen it, uh, my Instagram, Gurjo Dadanda has a video of this exact moment of, of a person being shot in the leg. Uh, by, by the police as chaos ensued. So I don't know exactly who was at fault there, but you don't ever get to realize who's at fault there in those type of situations because it's just chaos and and, and stuff comes out wrong. But sorry, I've, I've gone on too long. But, but basically the point is don't trust the Indian media. Stick to, you know, internationally verified vetted news sources. But other than that, continue to educate yourself and, and others about this. Um, you may have seen protests throughout, uh, you know, Canada itself, wherever you are located as listeners, 
uh, they've happened in pretty much every major city around the world. Uh, you know, us as a diaspora, we, we've, we've tried to illuminate this and, and bring it up to light. Uh, and those are perfect opportunities to just pop in and ask questions. You know, everybody there would be <laughs> happy to be uh, accommodate that and, and happy to tell you all about it. And, and one big thing that I do want to highlight is, is that don't don't put yourself in an informational silo. You are much more. If your objective here is to be useful um, or or to be an ally, you are much more a useful ally if you are informed of both sides of the issue, and you understand why one side is pushing for what they're pushing for, the other side is pushing for what they're pushing for, and then you make a choice. That is going to be much more effective activism, that is going to be much more effective awareness in any type of situations versus you being in an echo chamber or, or being in uh, one side. So it's especially hard, but make sure that you're, that you're stress testing your own opinions. Um, and remember that your elected representatives uh, response to this issue when you decide who to vote for, you know, um, is it a person who is willing to call out some human rights violations happening with a trading partner? And, you know, Canada, uh, Canada and India have a fantastic trade relationship, but does that mean we should tolerate their uh, the human rights abuses towards their own people? In my opinion, no. Um, and if you feel the same way, make sure your elected representative does too. So make sure that they're willing to speak out. And kind of coming out to the point of, of mental health and, and why this podcast is in place too, it's if you have uh, a close friend in your life, you know, that is Sikh Punjabi or Indian, it's very likely that um, these protests have affected them in some way. And it's very fucking awkward to live, you know, your life in Canada here. Well, let's say in my case, members of my family are out fucking sleeping on a road to protest laws that might end their way of life that's happened for fucking centuries. Like it's just, it's a little fucking awkward to, to live in that mind state and, and, and still send out my emails for the day, still get my shit done for the day. And, and just kind of like, if there's a person that you care about, that's affected by these protests, just, just kind of maybe doing like an occasional checkup because this is, unprecedented levels of, I think, generational trauma and, and um, just grief people are carrying every day about this. Um, somebody's dying, what, on average, nine hours at those protest sites. And if you have family there, the one question that's always going to be on my mind is, is like, is it somebody that you know, you know, uh, going to be that death because it hasn't been isolated to younger, older people. So, I think that would be like a, a very, very kind gesture to, to anybody who's doing so. And, and that can also lead to an avenue of discussion and um, debate that you might not have had before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we, we sort of have reached this point of thinking about what we can do, uh, I want to say, again, very powerful words from Yuga Joe. I think that um, you, one, you've outlined exactly what i think we can do and what we're mm. capable of doing as observers um we the the one thing that i think you you made very evident and i think it's a very powerful message is you know continuing to educate yourself but also know 
who you're voting for and what they believe in too. Like, it doesn't feel like it's a lot of uh, impact that you can make, but legitimately, like, that is the voice that you carry. And I think that by by sharing information, by trying to increase the spread of awareness for the situation, you are in part supporting people who aren't getting the support that they deserve. And to your to your point as well about stress stress testing your beliefs. I think that, you know, as someone so heavily affected by the situation, it is very admirable still that you advocate for a very holistic view of these opinions and all of these perspectives. I think that um one, it's a testament to how important this information is to you and how important this event is to you because you're you're advocating for people to develop their own thoughts about it because it is such a groundbreaking situation that frankly isn't covered enough so it's it's really easy to just fall into a trap hole and just you know consume propaganda for the lack of a better term so i think that you know it's it's so difficult to and your point about you know reaching out to people in your lives that are affected by the situation because basically at this point, my realization is based every Indian person that I would know is probably affected by this to a very large degree. And even, you know, extending it further, the amount of violence that's been put onto people of Asian descent, people of micro Asian yeah. descent, like it's so, so difficult on your own mental health. And I think what we can do is I'm going to attach some, uh, places to donate places to increase your activism uh to this episode and hopefully to get more awareness out that way but this has been incredibly enlightening and i I can't believe how much more work there is left to be done but that being said there there is a lot of resilience there within your community within your family and i i again extend my my fullest heart to you and to your people as much as i can um and thank you. Thank you for sharing this breadth of information with us today. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, um, another voice that can hear about this, especially in a long form conversation like this, is, is a, a, another person that can be ex- introduced to reasonable ideas and um, reasonable people. And, and oh, it's away from sensationalism, which which I think we need less of right now. And I, I think you need ground realities. And, and, to, and to that point of you saying your elected representative, I want to stress the point that those things matter, that that your elected representative's opinion on certain issues that you care about really do fucking matter. And, and you, you best believe that your vote at that time also matters. You know, um, anybody who's fucking not calling out Asian American violence that's occurring in this country by fucking idiots who, who can't get through their head that... Um, Every dude who looks like a Chinese dude is 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 at uh like is not at fault for COVID. If you don't have elected representatives just standing up there and just being like, if you're doing this, you're not only a fucking idiot, but you're a racist idiot. And I don't know that's that's worse. And, and same thing, but you know, when it comes to the Uyghur situation in China, if somebody's unwilling to call that out, please stand up for that. So um, it goes a lot of ways. Just just know that how you carry yourself, how, what your thoughts are and what you choose to believe in. If it's uncompromising and if it's un, um, informed, it, it carries a lot of power. It, it really does. And wield it wisely. 
So I do I echo all those points again, Gojo. Thank you so much. Um, I think that we we're gonna have to have another conversation kind of moving forward again about yeah. you know what following the situation, what it means for the for you, for the rest of your people. Um and yeah, I just think that we we have more to learn. And at this point, we've covered a lot of the backstory, but there is more that we want to discuss. So potentially we, we're gonna to have to revisit this conversation. Um, but at this point, I think we've approached the end. Um, any last words for the audience, good Joe, before we, we wrap it up? Uh, I mean, if you've if you've listened to me, you know, talk on for this whole time, um, I really, really appreciate it. I I, I have to say that I'm not always you know, structured when it comes to talking about these issues, a lot of the emotions get in the way and, and um, I, I do have a script to help me, but I, I, I can't help the times that I stray away. So I do want to thank you if you stuck around this, uh, this long to listen to me. And um, I, I also kind of want to thank you that if you, if you sympathize, if you sympathize with this and, 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 you know, don't take away a, a message of, uh, of despair from this take away a message of hope because the, these people um they're less privileged than probably um you know some some of the less privileged people in our society like they're, they're less privileged people than we are beyond our con- conception and they still come together strong to give the world's largest democracy a fucking slap in the face so if if, if that is that not, if that's not a story of hope i don't know what is so please walk with that um walk with that strength in your hearts knowing, knowing that you possess it too amazing i i'm glad that we have that air of resiliency here um and again thank you so much for listening to this episode thank you again good joe for being here and sharing your wisdom and i look forward to talking to you again soon take care